0: Hi, this is Malia Warner. Welcome to Power Principles, the podcast. This is episode 39 What If You Don't Get Your Miracle? Hello, welcome. This is the third time I've rescripted and re recorded this episode. It's not necessarily a feel good topic, and I kind of didn't really want to do it. I have no particular reason that I know of to do this topic this week. I really don't know who's listening. I know many of you, but there are also many of you who have found this podcast who don't know me. I don't know you. We've never met, though meeting you would be my pleasure. So today's topic discusses what happens when life doesn't go the way we expect, when things don't turn out the way we want or hope. We're talking about the stuff that happens that just doesn't make sense or seems unfair or maybe is caused by other people's cruelty or negligence or maybe things that are just accidents, just caused by mistakes. The purpose of today's episode is not to tell you everything happens for a reason or God gave you this challenge so you could learn something or because you need to be humbled or it's to test your faith. This episode is not going to say, look on the bright side or be positive or keep your chin up. It is not that kind of episode. I feel like my job today is not to try to give answers or words of comfort that probably wouldn't be comfort anyway, or to try to cheer you up or make you feel better. I feel like my job today is only this, to offer perspective. When you're in the middle of a crisis, you have so many questions, decisions, emotions, unknowns, and it can be almost impossible to get a grasp on any kind of perspective. So I hope I can offer a little today. Since this is a little heavier topic, I need to start on a lighter note. Here's a story off topic, but funny and definitely the jokes on me here. So last week's episode 38, I said, that stress isn't real, that stress does not exist in the real world. I was wrong. I have discovered one and only one circumstance that automatically does come with stress, and that is Eagle Scout Project paperwork. It is guaranteed to come with stress, frustration, hair pulling. In between scripting and recording this episode, we have been painting fire hydrant curbs red, and I may have used the word stressed, stressed out stressful several times. So I guess tomorrow I will be going back and listening to my episode 38 and eating my words. So there you have it. Eagle Scout projects, Eagle Scout paperwork, stress inducing, but that's the only circumstance. In the rest of the cases, stress is not real, only in our heads, right? And I have to give a big shout out to the girl at Sherwin-Williams who saved our bacon big time girl steps in and she says, this isn't the right stuff. This is high acetone paint and it stinks to high heaven and it dries super fast. So if you use this, all of your scouts are going to be high on fumes and covered in dried red paint. I just love a woman with dirt under her nails who knows how to solve a problem. And she worked a miracle for us and saved us from red paint disaster. And a big part of today's episode is What constitutes a miracle? What is a miracle and what isn't a miracle? And what happens when I don't get my miracle? I have several people close to me who over the past few years have lost their husbands, their dads to illness or accident. And this is hard for me, not as hard for me as it is for them. But every time my husband goes out of town for business and I'm sleeping alone in bed and I'm handling all the house and the kids stuff while he's gone, I think of them. The power of a good husband, a good father is such a blessing and it's hard for me to understand why God would ever take a father from his family or wouldn't send in all the angels of heaven to work miracles and prevent his passing. Good men are hard to find and to lose a good one is just feels like the epitome of tragedy to me. Accidents are hard for me. A split-second occurrence that you know if you could just rewind the clock a few seconds that you could change the entire outcome. When kids get sick, and I'm not talking about colds and flu, when kids get terminal illnesses, that's hard for me. Recently, the children in our local congregation presented a program in church with songs and memorized parts. And most of them stood at the microphone talking about how God helps them learn how to share their toys or remember to say thank you or to be nice at school to their friends or to do well on their tests and to not cheat. And our little neighbor stood up in her beautiful Sunday dress with the few strands of her long hair remaining and talked about how God helped her to not be afraid during her radiation treatments. And I think... How is that fair that all the other kids are thinking about toys and playground friends and experiencing normal childhood, and she has already dealt with more life than any six or seven year old should have to experience? And there are so many questions that come up. Why do some kids get sick and others don't? Why do some fathers die? Why are some people inspired to take a different road and thus avoid a car accident? Why does it seem that some people are miraculously spared while others aren't? Does God pick and choose who stays and who goes? I know it doesn't have anything to do with righteousness or worthiness because accidents, illness, death happens to some of the very best people I know. These are real questions and these are hard questions. This is why I've re-scripted this episode three times And why I still want to exit this recording and just tell funny stories instead. But this is life and these things happen. And I think it's why it's so hard for us in tragedy and suffering to find the right words to say to people because it doesn't make sense. It's hard to come up with the why or the explanation or the right thing to say. But that makes it all the more important, I think, to talk about. And like I said earlier, I don't feel like my job here is to give answers, but only offer perspective. And I'm going to share the stories and quotations from a couple of people who have experienced some of these unexplainable circumstances who offer really beautiful and intricate perspective to the common questions that arise in these circumstances. Number one, why? why me? Why us? Why now? Why did God make this happen? Or why did God allow this to happen? Number two, why didn't God perform a miracle for me or intervene? Why didn't God prompt me to act sooner or to act in a different way? And three, what did I do wrong to deserve this? Or what did this person do wrong to deserve this? Why is God punishing me? And as I share these stories, the three perspectives that really rise to the top are these. One, God does not make these things happen. Two, the miracle is different and bigger than what you think. And three, the why will drown you. The what will save you. So I'm going to interweave these stories and pull out these principles as they come up. First I want to talk about Michael Wilcox. I was able to be in a class shortly after his wife passed away and he was so raw and honest and open about the questions he was experiencing and the struggles that he was having to come to terms with her passing. So at the time of the class, Michael Wilcox had been a religious educator for 40 years. So he had obviously spent his life serving God, teaching the scriptures. And it was his last year. He was looking forward to retirement. He and his wife, Lori, planned that after he retired, they were going to work as tour guides, leading people on excursions to holy sites around the world, especially Jerusalem. And during his last year of teaching, his wife was diagnosed with brain cancer. It was eight months from her diagnosis to her funeral. He described it like this. For me, death feels like a foggy day. Sometimes the fog clears and I can see clearly. Then the fog comes back. It feels like life is unreal. It's like I'm in a play. I make my entrances. I say my lines. I exit. It feels like there's an audience of spectators just watching me act in the play of life, but I'm not really there. And during the class, he went on to share many of the experiences that he had had since her passing. And one thing that really stood out to me was he talked about how he questioned if his wife had an appointed time to die. Had God appointed her to die? Was was she always meant to leave at this age, at that time, And this was his perspective. He says, life appoints people to die. Mortality appoints people to die. Life happens. Time happens. Genetics happens. Occasionally the Lord intervenes, maybe delays or prolongs, but mostly he allows life to happen. He said during this time, I felt the Lord weep with us, sharing our sorrow. I felt him saying, I wish Lori didn't have to have cancer. I wish you could travel the world together now that you've retired. I can't heal everyone who gets cancer or who gets in car accidents. Michael Wilcox said, God didn't appoint Lori to go. Cancer appointed her to go. Michael Wilcox's perspective is helpful to me. For me, I don't believe that every specific thing happens for a reason. Most of the time... The reason, if there is a reason, that things happen is simply because we're alive. We're mortal, and so we are susceptible to mortal experiences, to genetics, to environment, to accidents, to short-sightedness, to evil acts, and to mistakes. A lot of times I hear people say, God gives us challenges so that we can grow. I don't really see it that way. I don't see God as someone up in heaven playing us like, chess pieces and handing us specific struggles to deal with. I do believe that we learn from these challenges and struggles. I do believe these challenges and struggles are tests of our faith. And I do believe that when approached in the right way, these struggles and experiences will help us to develop an amount of humility and compassion and deeper our wisdom, and humanity. I don't believe that God handpicks these things for us. I much more believe that God created the earth and gave us life and set the wheels in motion and that the challenges and struggles that we come upon are natural consequences of us being alive and the genetics that we have and the way we grew up and the place that we grew up and who we're around, and who we bump into, and just where we happen to be at a certain time. So please don't misunderstand me, because I do believe very much that God knows us. I believe he knows me, that he is 100% aware of me and what I'm experiencing. I do believe that angels are involved in the intricate details of my life, but... I do not believe that they are here to interfere. I believe that God and the angels are bound by natural laws that allow them or prevent them from getting involved and changing the outcomes of situations. Do I believe in miracles? Absolutely. So let's talk about what we call miracles. This is principle number two that often miracles are not what we typically think of as the miracle. Usually they're much different, and I think even subtly more spectacular than what we typically call a miracle. And this perspective is exquisitely portrayed by a woman named Kate Braystrup, who is a chaplain for the state of Maine's warden service which means that she is on call anytime the search and rescue goes out to find a missing person. So she has been eyewitness to an abundance of what we would call tragedies and miracles. She has had a lot of opportunities to ask and answer questions. Why was this child found alive while I have to go tell this family that their child's body was found at the bottom of the lake? Kate shares many of her experiences in a beautifully written book called Here If You Need Me. And I'm going to read her thoughts about miracles directly from her book, page 172, chapter 16. She says, Perhaps all anyone means by the word miracle is an outcome that defies the odds. In a football game in which a Hail Mary pass is completed and the underdog wins, the victory is called a miracle. The conception of a child by an infertile couple the complete remission of a notoriously lethal cancer, the appearance of a police officer just as a mugger pulls a knife, what are the odds, we ask, and call it a miracle. She gives an example how one of the search and rescue troopers had a baby who was born premature and weighed less than two pounds and was given slim odds of survival. But the baby happened to be born in a teaching hospital one that had recently added an experienced and very talented neonatologist to its staff. Because he received excellent care made possible by the expensive high-tech medical resources available in our day and place, the baby lived. And of course, and rightfully so, the parents call him their miracle baby. But what about the premature babies? who aren't born in education hospitals with a specialized neonatalist? What about the premature babies who are born in third world countries? Does this mean they aren't given miracles? Does this mean God wasn't conscientious of them? What really then is a miracle and what is just beating the odds? And Kate Braestrup goes on to address this question with this example, asking, so what are the odds of this? On an ordinary weekday morning, a young woman named Christina left her dorm room at St. Mary's College in Waterford, Maine. She was planning to drive to Portland for a dental appointment and then to meet her mother for lunch. A man was waiting in the parking lot, not for her particularly, but for any one of the 2,000 or so female undergraduates that might have appeared at that time and place. If Christina had fallen in that empty early morning parking lot and been badly injured, and a man had happened to appear just in time to save her life, we would have called it a miracle. But Christina did not fall, and the man who waited there did not save her life. He forced her into her vehicle, made her drive him to a remote area, then dragged her into the woods, raped her, tortured her, and took her life. Okay, you can see why I've struggled to record this episode, huh? Kate goes on to write, A miracle cannot simply be an event that is unlikely for that would include the unlikely evil as well as the unlikely good. Kate Braystrup goes on to tell the story of the investigation and the search and rescue team's attempt to find Christina, which eventually led them to the wilderness of Maine, and how her role largely became being there to comfort the officers who discovered Christina's body. And she talks about the state police detective who was in charge of the investigation. She was a woman named Anna Love. She writes, For three days following Christina's murder, Detective Sergeant Love worked pretty much around the clock. In between all the meetings, the phone calls, the inspections of the scene, new pieces of physical evidence, the interviews with witnesses and family members, the interrogation of the suspect, and in between attending to the manifold legal requirements for proper documentation of all of the above, Anna would periodically duck into her office with her breast pump. Bottles of her milk would be sent home where her husband waited with their baby. And in one of my favorite sentences from all of the books I've ever read, Kate Braestrup writes, if ours were a sensible culture, little girls would play with Anna Love action figures, badge in one hand, breast pump in the other. For me, Kate gives a meaningful perspective when she writes how there was no reason for this to happen to Christina. She didn't have to be in the parking lot that day. The dentist could have rescheduled. Her mother could have taken her to lunch another day. She didn't have to be the victim. She just happened to be there. Kate writes that the miracles she witnessed had to do with how what she calls the legions of men and women converged on the scene to find, honor, and care for Christina. She writes, For me, Christina's restoration did not come in the arrest or in what happened in the courts to the man who committed this crime. Instead, it was in the image of those dear and decent men, Rob, for example, with his quiet walk, his quiet way, moving with swift and loving purpose toward her body where it lay between the trees, bearing with them parenthood and friendship, grief and anger, order, and care, and bearing beneath their badges their undefended hearts. These are the miracles to be had in the story, the cops with their soft hearts breaking, and the fact that this violent sexual predator was nailed by a breastfeeding mother named Love. And this brings us to the third and final principle, the perspective that the power lies not in answering the why, but in defining the what. Kate writes, and I paraphrase, a string of coincidences place a young woman in a parking lot at the very moment when a murderer happens by. A similar string of coincidences place a premature infant in a high-tech teaching hospital where a gifted doctor works to save him. Why? Why not? Anything could happen, but only one thing will. Kate writes, Your child is alive, I said, and Mr. Moore's knees wobbled. A dog named Grace found her, awakened her with a cold nose, and Allison walked out of the wilderness. Her mother, laughing in gratitude, called it a miracle. If it is what we desire, what we long for so badly we feel it burning in our bones, if by chance this is given, we will fall on our grateful knees, praise God, and call it a miracle. And we will not be wrong. The only real answer to the question why is... Because. Because it is. It is what it is. Because. The real power comes in defining the what. Viktor Frankl, Holocaust survivor, wrote, In some ways, suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds a meaning. The most powerful thing that we can access during any challenge is our will to find the meaning in it. Even if we believe that Jesus made the blind man see, raised Jairus's daughter from the dead, even if we believe that each of Jesus' miracles really took place, mere truthfulness does not lend them, or the word miracle, meaning. Scripture tells us, after all, that eyewitnesses to Jesus' miracles did not always find them meaningful. The dead that Jesus raised are now dead again, aren't they? The blind that he healed, they're dead now too, so they're not seen anymore. The skin of the lepers and the limbs of the lame are now dust. So however unlikely or impossible Jesus' deeds were once, they're all undone by now. From Jesus, ten lepers received a cure. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Were not 10 made clean? Yes, 10 were made clean, but only one received a miracle. A miracle is not defined by an event. A miracle is defined by gratitude. For Michael Wilcox, what brought meaning to his wife's passing was the things he learned, the education he gained, the person he became, he said, I've learned that death intensifies love more than anything else could. In the course of the growth of an eternal marriage, the grave is as potent as the altar. He said, I've learned that I can go through the worst and that I can survive and not be angry at God. He also learned that death is a purifying process, a cleansing to prepare to seal a marriage. Through death, you let go of all the hurt, the arguments, the motes and beams, the petty disagreements, and seal in the pure, untainted love. Death is a process of forgiveness, forgiving any hurt, disappointment, sadness, unfulfilled expectations, and the person becomes the sum of their best moments, the very best version of themselves. And most of all, he learned that pain carves canyons in the heart that will, in one moment, fill with joy, Death carves the greater capacity to love. Kate Braystrup's meaning was helping other people. What I didn't tell you at the beginning was that Kate Braystrup's husband was a state trooper in Maine and was killed at a routine roadside stop by an out-of-control truck, leaving her a widow and single mother to four children ages three to nine. Her husband, Drew, had been planning to retire as state trooper and was studying to become a minister, After his death, Kate went back to school, got her ministerial license, and was hired as the first ever chaplain to the state of Maine's warden service. Kate Braystrup says, When my children asked me why dad died, I told them it was an accident. There are accidents like knocking over your milk at the dinner table, and there are large accidents like the one your dad was in. No one meant it to happen, it just happened, and his body was too badly damaged in the accident for his soul to stay in it anymore, and so he died. God did not spill the milk. God did not drive the truck into your father's car. Where in the scriptures does it say God is a car accident or God is death? God is justice and kindness, mercy, and always, always love. So if you want to know where God is in this Or in anything, look for love. Eric Fromm wrote, Love is the only sane and satisfactory answer to the problem of human existence. As a mother, I pray for miracles of the most ordinary kind on behalf of my children. I want their hearts to keep beating, I want them to live. But then, a grateful heart beats in a world of miracles. If I could only speak one prayer for you, my children, it would be that your hearts would not only beat, but grow ever greater in gratitude, that your lives, however long they prove to be, and no matter how they end, continue to bring you miracles in abundance. This is why I said at the beginning of this episode that my goal was not to try to make anyone feel better, to not try to comfort or offer feeble words of comfort. Sometimes things in life are really sad and will buckle us to our knees in grief. I do not talk about being grateful because being grateful will cheer you up. I talk about being grateful because gratitude will save you. I think the perspective of Kate Braystrup and Michael Wilcox are powerful because it gets you out of that rabbit hole, the downward spiral of asking the whys, to which there's really no good answer, and switches the perspective to focusing on the what. The miracles in life aren't found in the outcomes. The real miracles are almost always found in the people who walk with you through the struggle. In the midst of the struggle, look for the love, and if you can find the love, you will find the real miracle. This is Malia Warner. Thank you for joining me on today's episode. It was kind of a heavy one. I hope for something a little more light next week. In any case, I'll meet you back then. Have a great week, everyone.